Nehemiah chapter 9. This morning, actually, we're going to start in verse 31 and possibly finish the chapter. Maybe. Anyways, uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for giving us your word. And we do pray that as we study, uh, we will learn more about you, about your faithfulness and your mercy and your compassion and see this example uh, from many years ago from your people, how they relied upon that um, for their very existence. It depended upon you. And we thank you that you are faithful to them. And even to this day, the, the nation of Israel survives uh, despite all odds because of you. Thank you that we can trust you as well. And uh, thank you for this time now. I pray that you'll open your word to us and help us to be encouraged by it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, for reading this morning, we'll start in verse 26, Nehemiah chapter 9. We'll start at verse 26 and read through the end of the chapter. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them. In your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they had rest, they did <clears throat> evil again before you. Therefore you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. When they cried again to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you rescued them according to your compassion. And admonished them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted arrogantly and did not listen to your commandments, but sinned against your ordinances. By which if a man observes them, he shall live. And they turned his stubborn shoulder and stiffened their back and would not listen. However, you bore with them for many years and admonished them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. <clears throat> Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the land. However, in your abundant compassion, you did not destroy them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy, do not tell all the trouble, seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people from the days of the kings of Asia, Asia until this day. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. For our father, for our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers have not kept thy law, or paid attention to your commandments and your admonitions, which you have admonished them. Even in our own kingdom, and amid your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. But see, we are slaves today, and slaves in the land that you gave our ancestors, so that they could eat its fruit and other things, other good things it produced. Its abundant produce is for the kings, whom you have set over us because of our sins. They also rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please, so we are in great distress. Now because of all this, we are made an agreement in writing, and on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our, our Levites, and our priests. Okay, last week uh, we'd started in verse 23, and this was, he was talking about God's faithfulness 
to them, uh, despite the fact that when they got first brought them to the border of Canaan and they refused to go in, you know, they spent 40 years until that, basically that army died off. And then their children went in. But remember, we, we looked at the, they had done the census to get the number of fighting men available at the beginning of the 40 years and at the end, almost identical numbers. You know, so God was faithful to, to, to multiply them, uh, even though that whole generation died off because of their unbelief. So anyways, they did enter the land, um, and the infrastructure was all there. There were cities already built, houses fully furnished, you know, the, the orchards were already producing, the vineyards were already producing, they had wells, everything they needed. They, they didn't have to work at it, it was already there. You know, that was part of God's blessing. Uh, even we saw back in Deuteronomy when God said that that is what he would do. And so um, they had everything they needed. They didn't have to work that hard for it, so they grew fat and lazy and forgot God and rebelled against him. And uh, we talked about how sometimes having too much blessing can be a, as much a hazard as anything else as a temptation. Um, so after that, we've got the period of the judges. And we've got all those cycles where you know, they, they begin to worship the idols. So God uh, opens them up to their neighboring countries to, to come in and plunder them. They are in distress. They cry out to God for a deliverer. God gives them a deliverer. So they're at peace again for a few years. That judge dies, and the people go back to idolatry, and the cycle starts over again. And it says he's, in the end of verse 28, many times I just rescue them. They go through this cycle over and over again of, of failure. Um, and then we also saw that you know, once you get into the period of the kings, um, it was actually it was kind of similar. Well, actually, the northern kingdom didn't have any kings that were really followed God. In the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, some did, some did not. And there were the cycles there as well. Um, one thing that's omitted here is, I guess, what you'd call their golden age, when David and Solomon were king. So there was about an 80-year period in there. <laughs> where the people actually obeyed God. But this is a psalm of repentance. And so they're not repenting of that. So they, that's ignored. And it says, eventually, uh, as we could see uh, in the end of verse 30, uh, God gave them over to the hands of the peoples of the lands. So this was uh, Assyrians captured or destroyed Samaria and captured the northern kingdom in 721 B.C., and then uh, Babylon um, uh, took over the southern kingdom of Judah and destroyed Jerusalem about 140 years later in uh, 586 B.C. So this morning we're starting at verse 31, which kind of sums up this section. He says, Nevertheless, in thy great compassion thou didst not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. So we're reminded here again that Israel's continued existence depends completely on God's character. 
Um, they, the fact that the, both northern and southern kingdoms were delivered into the hands of the Gentiles was severe discipline, but it did not terminate God's relationship with the people. That continues on. And in this verse, we see twice the word for compassion. God was compassionate for them. Um, it also says that he's gracious. And this is kind of a short form of what we saw back in, uh, in verse 17. At the end of verse 17, it says, Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That's a phrase we'll see all through the Old Testament because when Moses asked God to show him his glory, this is what God told him. I am gracious and compassionate, abounding in loving kindness, and full of mercy. Slow to anger and slow to mercy, or fast to mercy. Now, it also mentions grace. I mean, Israel understood they deserved to be completely destroyed based on their long history of disobedience and idolatry. The nation of Israel was saved by grace. You know, we're saved by grace. We deserve damnation. They deserved it. And so they realized that their nation was saved by grace many, many times over. Let's, but they were not forsaken. Let's look at <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4 would someone like to read verse 27 for us Okay, the whole land will be ruined. I will not destroy it completely. There's always a remnant. In this case, the land itself was not totally destroyed. Um, and still in Jeremiah, let's turn to chapter 30. Someone like to read verse 11 for us. For I am with you to save you, says the Lord. I will make a full land with all the nations, among whom I have scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. Okay. So where is the nation of Assyria? Gone. Babylon is gone. Persia is gone. All those kingdoms, gone. Where is Israel? They're still here. <laughs> And so that's what God has said here. He will not destroy them completely. Um, let's look at one last verse for this. 2 Kings chapter 13. So Jeremiah was actually ministering to the southern kingdom, to Judah. And here we have an uh, example from the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. 2 Kings Chapter 13, would someone like to read verses 22 and 23? Now, Hazael, king of Aaron, had oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them and turned to them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
and would not destroy them or cast them from his presence until now. Okay, so here's God being gracious and compassionate and faithful to the covenant. And this is the northern kingdom. How many good kings did the northern kingdom have? Zero. Zilch. Right. But God was faithful. They were his people. He had a covenant with them. Or was it very hot? <laughs> no, not really. Okay, so the so this verse thirty-one kind of ends. This there's a transition here before we get into verse thirty-two. So the we, we've got this history of, of God's compassion, His faithfulness to the covenant, and that's going to be the basis for this final section of this psalm, starting in verse thirty-two. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and loving kindness, do not let all the hardship seem insignificant before you, which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and on all the people, from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. So, up to this point, we've been reviewing the history of the Jews' relationship with God. And so now we see kind of a summation of what is their current status as a result of this past history. And so all this is being done kind of as a preface because in chapter 10, they're going to make a pledge of obedience to God. So this is leading up to that. So first they address God as our God. This acknowledges that despite all their disobedience, all their idolatry, they really have no other God. Let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 7. Someone like to read verse 14. Second Chronicles 7, 14. Okay, so here God is talking about my people, and they are talking about our God, and they are counting on this promise. They've humbled themselves, uh, they're praying, they're seeking his face, they're pledging to turn from their wicked ways, and they're hoping that God will indeed keep his, be faithful to this promise, hear from heaven, forgive them, and heal their land. So that's what they're counting on here. Okay, going back to verse 32. They call God the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. Um, so here they, you know, they recognize his sovereign power and his glory. And they go on to call on his loving kindness and his faithfulness to their covenant. The God who keeps covenant and his loving kindness. So again, they're, they're looking at God's essence, his character. You know, and we've been going on Wednesday nights, going over the character of God, the attributes of God. That's what, you know, that's what the Jews depended on here. That's what we depend on, is who is God? So they are asking God at this point to really recognize 
how serious their sufferings have been since God first raised up the Assyrians and the Babylonians to discipline them. Um, it's called hardship here. It says, do not let all the hardships seem insignificant before thee. And it means trouble and distress. And it's not a common word. I think when I looked it up, it's only four times in the Old Testament. But let's go back to Exodus chapter 18. Look at, again, idea of what they're comparing themselves to. So they've been going through this distress, this hardship. And what do they compare it to? Let's look at Exodus chapter 18. Someone like to read verse 8 for us. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Okay, so they're talking about the hardship of the Exodus. You know, what do you got? A million people living in um, shelters in the desert. Booths. Booths. Yeah, <laughs> booths. I was going to say tents, but it doesn't ever say tents. And it's not that they all had tents like we have for camping purposes. You know, we camp out at the Shulky Conference. Everyone's in tents. And that's luxury compared to what they had. So, you know, they went through all these hardships at this time during the Exodus and in the desert, and the snakes that were biting them and running out of food and running out of water and all that sort of thing. Um, so that's one place that word's used. Let's go to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. And someone like verses 14 and 15 for us. Okay. The hardship here is the time in Egypt. <clears throat> I think they were in Egypt 450 years, and 400 of that was in slavery. You know, that was the hardship. So that's what they're, that's the word they're using here. Compare the, the slavery in Egypt, the, the horrible living conditions in the desert after they, uh, God brought them out of Egypt. <coughs> Um, so that's what they're calling hardship. So what it looks like is that they're asking God to say, okay, do you think maybe we've suffered enough? Is it time to restore us again? We've gone through this hardship. We've been disciplined. Um, you know, don't think that it's, we take it lightly. Uh, and, and we pray that you don't take it lightly either. Now it does at the end of this, it says, how, how, you know, how long have they been suffering like this? It says, from the days of the kings of Assyria. So let's go back to the first place Assyria is mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 15.
2 Kings chapter 15. And someone like to read verse 19 for us. Okay, and it goes on. Menahem exacted the money from Israel. So, Menahem is one of those, I'm looking at this, and I don't remember this name, but he was one of the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, verse 18 says, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. So, God brought Pol, king of Assyria. Pol is the same as, if you've heard of Tiglath-Pileser. One of these kings have two different names depending on what language it is. So this is the king of Assyria. This is when the <clears throat> kings first, Assyria first started uh, their influence on, uh, on the northern kingdom. And let's turn uh, to 1 Chronicles chapter 5. First Chronicles chapter five. Someone like to read verses 20, 25 and twenty six here. Okay, so these are, sometimes you hear talk about the lost tribes of Israel. Well, these are specifically noted where they were taken, so they're not necessarily lost. They're yeah. um, The Old Testament does tell where those tribes were taken. But here, here you see uh, the same pole, or Tiglath-Pilneser, I guess, king of Assyria. Um, pole is easier. Pole, yes, it is. So the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, those are the Transjordan tribes, the ones who were on the east side of the Jordan River. So those were taken away at this time. So this is when, you know, we're talking about the beginning of the, the nations being destroyed, the northern and southern kingdoms being destroyed. So the time, you know, from the days of the kings of Assyria all the way up to this day. So you're talking, you know, over... Um, just subtracting my head from like 722 BC to, I think this is uh, around 444, I think, or after that. But, you know, almost 200 years of, of, this, of this suffering is what they're talking about. Okay, going on to uh, uh, verse 33. So they've, they're asking God to, you know, consider how much we've suffered. But then verse 33, <clears throat> However, thou art just in all that has come upon us. 
for thou hast dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. So the Jews are asking God, think about how much we've suffered, uh, but you know we deserved it. You're perfectly just in giving us all this suffering because of, of what we've done. So we know God always acts in a just and righteous manner. Let's look at a couple of New Testament passages. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, something like read verses 23 through 26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay, so we have a couple times it says to demonstrate his righteousness. <coughs> so God didn't just wave his hand and say, okay, I'm just going to forgive everybody. That's not righteous. But, he, but Christ was offered as a propitiation. He paid the penalty so that God could then forgive sins righteously. And at the end of verse 26, he's just and righteous, and he's the justifier. So there's a basis for his forgiveness. Um, so God always acts in a just manner. He doesn't just forgive out of nothing. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6. Someone left read verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Okay. So it's, this is kind of a statement of you, you get what you deserve. Yeah. And that's, that's what the Jews understood. We deserved this and that's what we got. Um, <clears throat> and then the last part of um, verse 33 kind of sums up the whole psalm. It says, you've dealt faithfully, we have acted wickedly. God is faithful, we are wicked. That kind of sums up everything that we've covered. So okay, going on to the next verses, four, 34 and 35. For our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your admonitions with which you have admonished them. For they in their own kingdom, and with thy great goodness which you gave them, with the broad and rich land which you did set before them, did not serve you or turn from their evil deeds. So none of the leaders kept God's law. So this lists the civil leaders, the religious leaders, the family leaders. You know, they all share this blame. And this is similar to the list of those who suffered in verse 32, except there's one group missing. In 32, it talks about kings, princes, priests, prophets, and our fathers. 
the one missing here is the prophets. Yeah. So they're not blaming the prophets. The prophets obeyed God. Everybody else failed to obey God. So when God admonished them, they ignored his efforts to get them to repent. And God did send admonishment. He sent the warnings to the prophets. Again, let's, let's go back to an example in 2 Kings chapter 17. Second Kings 17. Does someone like to read verses 13 through 15? Okay, so God, over and over again, God admonished them. He sent prophets and seers to warn them, to try to turn them back, you know, to both northern and southern kingdoms. He warned Israel and Judah. And they were stiff-necked. They rejected God's warnings. They turned to idolatry. Now, at the beginning of verse 35, going back to Nehemiah 9, it says, but they in their own kingdom... This refers back to the time before Israel and Judah were um, conquered by these by Assyria and Babylon. So it refers back to when they were uh, still independent sovereign nations. So they had their autonomy, and they lived in this spacious and fertile land that God gave them. This is a they were blessed in all this. But they still refused to repent and they refused to serve God despite all that God had done for them. Let's, let's turn and look at Jeremiah chapter 5. Someone like to read verse 19 for us. Why, why did God do this to us? God says, since you served foreign gods, you're going to serve foreign kings. So, they, basically, they got what they deserved. Okay. Going back to Nehemiah 9, verses 36 and 37. Behold, we are slaves today, and as 
And as to the land which you gave to our fathers to eat of its fruit and its bounty, behold, we are slaves on it. And its abundant produce is for the kings, whom you have set over us because of our sins. They also rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please. So we are in great distress. So here they're calling themselves slaves. They're not totally free. They're under the rule of Persia here. They're uh, under under that rule. We had seen this before back in, all the way back in Ezra, chapter 9, verse 9, where they were called slaves. Um, you know, they, at that time, they had to get they had to get permission from the king of Persia to rebuild their temple. They had to get permission to rebuild the walls. They didn't have permission. They weren't allowed to do it. And so there was, they were under the control of the kings of Persia. And the verse goes on to say, that, you know, these kings rule over their bodies and over their cattle. Um, we can see examples of this uh, from the Gospels. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus telling the disciples, you know, if someone um, tells, like a soldier tells you to carry their load for one mile, go with them too. Because the, the Roman soldiers had the right to just grab anybody off the street and say, carry my load. You know, they were basically the people were slaves to the Romans. Um, we have the example on the Via Dolorosa where Christ stumbled under the weight of the cross. And what was, who did they grab to carry the cross? Simon? Or Simeon? Simeon. Simeon. Uh, uh, or Rufus? Simon the something. Yeah. The I, I couldn't remember his name. Rufus is his son. Maybe it's Simeon, right. So they just grabbed him and said, you do this. And he didn't have a choice. So the Jews were, in essence, slaves to their conquering countries. You know, they, didn't, they weren't ordered all the time to do everything, but whenever they wanted something, they, they had that right. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. So, so anyways, they're, they're back in this, they're, they're back in the land now, but, and it's good and it's fertile, but where does all their produce go? Mm-hmm. To the government, right. Let's go back to chapter 5, something like verse 4 in Nehemiah. Chapter 5, verse 4. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Borrow money to pay. T- if you have to borrow money to pay your taxes, you're a tough financial shape. <laughs> That's where Nehemiah got all the stuff given. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, they're, the land is still productive. It doesn't say that the, you know, they're not having necessarily drought or anything, but the king is taking it. They taxed, the Persians gave the people a fair amount of freedom, but took all their money. Yeah. It's kind of what they're known for, that empire. Um, I had taken some time to study uh, when Alexander the Great went through and conquered Persia. And there was a place where it listed how, how many tons of gold he found in each city as he went through the Persian area. Tons and tons of gold. 
And at the end of verse 37, it says, So we are in great distress. Now we had this word for distress back in verse 27. And this is talking about the period of the judges. Um, that, you know, therefore you delivered them into the hands of their oppressors who oppressed them. But when they cried to you in the time of their distress, you heard from heaven and according to your great compassion, you gave, gave them deliverers who delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. So God has a history that when they cry out in distress, he will deliver them. And so they're saying, okay, God, we are in distress. We're asking you to come again and deliver us. So they're hoping to have, that God will have compassion on them and send them a deliverer. It's probably easier when it's not self-inflicted. <laughs> yes. I mean, it was self-inflicted. <laughs> So this really, um, at the end of verse 37, that actually ends the psalm in a sense. Because in, in the Hebrew Bible, verse 38 is chapter 10, verse 1. And chapter 10 really talks about this covenant that they make um, to obey God. Now it says, because of all this, <clears throat> we are making an agreement in writing, and on this sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. So this is a covenant, and we'll see the details of the covenant in chapter 10. But it's, so it's signed by all the leaders, the Levites and the priests. Now both this verse and verse 1 of chapter 10 mention it's a sealed document. And so the idea is that this preserves and protects important documents from being changed. Let's turn to Esther, chapter 8 and verse 8. Would someone like to read that for us? Chapter what? 8, 8. Chapter 8, verse 8. Okay, it's sealed with a ring. It cannot be changed. It cannot be revoked. Um, and then let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 32. This is an interesting little story that tells us... What chapter? 32, Jeremiah 32. It tells us about sealed documents and unsealed documents. Jeremiah is buying property here. Someone like to read verses 10 and 11. Okay, so there's two copies. One's sealed, one's open. And the open one is the one that they use <clears throat> to read what the terms are. And the sealed one is, you know, if there's ever a dispute about what, you know, maybe the open one got changed. But the sealed one, you know, and it's like today when, when you do surveys and things, you file them with the county. That's kind of like the sealed document copy. You know, the county's got a copy in their archives. 
and uh, you can't get to it and change it. So um, this is, this fact that they seal, they sign and seal this document, really gives us it emphasizes the fact that they want to keep this covenant. They take it, they're taking it seriously, at least at this time. <laughs> we'll see that that doesn't always hold for for too long. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a good place to break. Um, Joe, you want to close for us again? Sure. Dear Lord, again, thank you. I think this time we can come and open your word to see you have for us. The unchanging word that it is, it speaks to us. Thank you for that. Thank you that it speaks to us and lets us, guides and directs us and, and tells us what's going to do. People are seeking after your will. They just look at your word and they'll find it. Lord, we want to thank you for this time. We studied this word. Prepare for the next hour to come whenever one of our brings us Colossians. We just want to thank you for this time we can have and share and worship you. Fresh and pray. Amen. Yeah.